Uh, no, I've been good, man. Um, I did a uh, I did a recording this morning actually uh, with my with my dad. We reviewed um, Ram by Paul McCartney. Nice. Yeah, it's one of his uh, favorites. It it's become one of my favorite solo Beatle works. Uh, but it was one of those albums where, like, when he first showed it to me, um, well, actually, I brought it up in the show today, but he uh, uh, basically he asked for it for Christmas, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" Because <laughs> I'd never really listened to it before. I think this was like I don't know four years ago or so. Never, I'd never really listened to it, and um, it's something we really talked about a lot about the album. As we realized, like how un not uncommercial, but how um, unused the album is used by McCartney himself. Like, right, never, never plays anything from it. Like on a tour, um, you look at like his greatest hits, and normally doesn't include almost anything. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, another day um but that's it that's like the only song that kind of gets used um so that's why i like when i came up to it i was i was very taken back by like <laughs> just me realizing to myself like i i don't know this album like at all <laughs> and so um <laughs> i started listening to it just because my dad really liked it like he was like oh this he's like you don't know this album and i was like oh crap i need to get on the right thing and so um yeah, I, it was like, the, I think it was a year before I got married and, uh, which is great timing. Cause it's a very good like relationship, like, you know, fam- family yeah. love album. So, um, anyways, yeah. So we broke that down today, which will be up in a couple of days, uh, which I've been looking forward to. We, we were supposed to do it last year at some point, but something happened, but, um, yeah, yeah COVID really probably. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the, the cop out for everything that didn't go right last year yeah um but it's uh yeah i don't know that's just one of those albums that like it, it it took a second to grew on me but now it's just like i don't know it's great it's i still think all things must pass is the front runner of yeah the, you know, beetle uh post post beetle work like i guess immediate post beetle work i'll put it that way uh, yeah. It, well, the way I always think about it is if you took any given post Beatles uh, album and stacked it up against the Beatles discography, mm-hmm. how would it do? Like, that's how mm-hmm. I judge. And like all things must pass. If that was if that was a Beatles album that just yeah. happened to be super George forward, <laughs> um, you know, that it would still be incredible. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. No, that would that would be insane. Like yeah. Even if George didn't sing all those parts, right? Out, oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. If, or if that's what you're saying. Like, he 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 fleshed it out, but then put people in their places. Like, yeah, crazy. And I don't, I like, I don't know, like, I you know, I don't think Ringo has one of those albums that you could stack up against the Beatles discography and be like, yeah, this really fits in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you like, know, like. Imagine and double fantasy might, but you know, there's a lot of the John Lennon stuff that wouldn't, you know, his, his rock and roll covers album probably wouldn't cause it's just very kind of ho-hum. Yeah. Um, you know, this is kind of random, but, um, in the vein of this, uh, you know what album we should talk about sometime, um, or review or whatever, um, walls and bridges by Lennon. His last, yeah. Not, well, I guess his last solo album, because technically his last album's with Yoko credited. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but that's that's a crazy album. That's a really, really good album. You know, I haven't just sat down and listened to it in forever, but but yeah, that, w- that would be good. That is, I'm trying to think back on what's on it. And yeah, it has, if memory uh, serves, it's a pretty cool album. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird, I mean, it doesn't have anything that's like, it's not like a concept or anything. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like the album itself has a lot of John's character in it, just like um like me and my dad talked about today, Ram is a good extension of McCartney. Like at the time, like um, right. his priorities, his uh, feelings, his vibe. I'll just put it like that. Um, but for Walls and Bridges, it's not necessarily that for Lennon, but it's almost a good uh, uh, sample of what his style was like. Um, so there's like there's songs like. Um, Steel and Glass, which is like a slow buildup, but it just has these really cool dynamics to it. Great lyricism, um, of course. Um, it has that. It has Number Nine Dream. It has, um, oh my God, my God. Here, I'm going to look it up because I know Do it. this isn't what we were really going to talk about, but I'm glad it got brought up because this is <laughs> this is one of those albums uh, with you particularly that like I just feel like it's an album that's not very talked about a lot when it comes to linen, like, cause I mean, there's yeah. a lot, but he well, has, this is, um, this, this is like perfect. Stop everything and listen fodder. <laughs> yeah. Not really planned. <laughs> it's okay. If we got to look down at the cell phone every once in a while. Right. <laughs> That's right. This is the, uh, protocol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all right, here, here, here are my like takeaways from why I think this album is, um, noteworthy. It has, um, Whatever gets you through the night, which is, you know, funky. Love it. Um, right. Has uh, What You Got, which is like a really cool song. It's like, you don't know what you got until you lose it. Like he's like yelling. It's like super like lively. He's definitely on some kind of upper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you have Bless You. That's a cool song. That's a really that cool, is a cool song. Uh, then number nine, Dream, uh, Steel and Glass, which is that song I talked about a second ago. And then the other, the only other one I really would bring up is uh, beef jerky. <laughs> it's like this really weird, like funky, like instrumental. It's like bump, 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 but it like has this terrible, terrible break in the middle of it where it's just like a crowd of people just yelling beef jerky, beef jerky, beef jerky. <laughs> like, I think it, it's just the a measure worth of people just saying that over <laughs> and over, and it really kind of takes you out of the song. Unless you just you're like really into it, like <laughs> it's a great group. So, w- would that have would that have been about the same time he was working with Bowie uh, um, on like Fame, Fame and stuff? That would have yeah. been uh, that would have been the year after, so okay. or half uh, six months after probably. Okay. Um, so so, so, so still a lot of year. that. Yeah, a lot a lot of funk overtone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think. Um, I'm trying to, maybe I can Google this. Uh, I'll do it on my phone. So I'm not click clacking right in your face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to say that Elton John was involved in uh, whatever gets you through the night. Um, Yeah, that sounds right. That I, I read, um, I can't remember whose biography of Lennon it was several years ago. And that sounds right, but it's, it's been, it's yeah. been seven or eight years since I read it. El- Elton does harmony, vocals, uh, piano, and organ. Wow. Well, so, yeah, I'd, I, yeah, I'd say that's a contribution. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this was during, um, this is the tail end of, um, what is it called? Um, the long weekend or yeah, whatever long year weekend. is called. Yeah. The year where him and Yoko took a, a break or whatever. Um, I think this is like the tail end of it. Like I think the Bowie yeah. stuff underneath his, uh, ghostwriter name, uh, oh my God, I always forget it. It's a Winston, uh, Winston boogie, but it's, there's something else, right? It's, um, yeah, I think Sir so. Winston Bo- boogie Esquire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, I think fa- the Bowie stuff is like in the middle and then this is towards the end, but uh, okay. anyways, super cool album. I've, yeah. I don't know. I'd love to talk about it more, but, uh, if this is, if this gets you interested in it, it's worth it, but yeah, yeah no, give, really- give me, uh, give me, give me a few weeks so I can listen to it a few times through and really get into it. Then, then yeah, we can, we can, we can grab some scalpels and really dissect it. <laughs> but yeah, that one's cool. Um, yeah, that's just super cool. Yeah. And just those two, those two tracks alone, uh, number nine dream and bless you are just so cool. Like ethereal, like, you know, right like whimsical weird songs they're cool anyways um so what did you want to i know we have like topics that we've kind of sorted out uh did you want to do the uh i guess we should do this one first the albums that that could have been or or whatever yeah yeah albums albums that could have been yeah um you know so I, i was thinking about this a lot more and, um, you know, I, I thought about it in two ways, but not at first. At first, I was just like, OK, what's an album that could have really been good, you mm-hmm. know, really, really been incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started thinking, and and, and, you know, what's that? Something that's like complete, completed, but could have been better. You mean? Well, no, just just like you know, if 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 uh, if circumstances had been just a little bit different or something like oh, that, okay. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I kept trying to think of good examples, and then then I thought about something that is probably my most controversial music opinion that I have, <laughs> um, and that is. That and I, you know, you and I, I think, have talked about this a little bit before, but I love Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like, I, you mm-hmm. know, a dude from Dallas with a ton of soul who could get in there and absolutely shred. But that last album he made, which of course I didn't even take the time to write down because that's how much I don't like it, it was very bland. It was very like radio blues. Is that. It- is that the one where that's not the one where he's wearing the red shirt? Is it? I don't remember. What's oh, called. I can't remember. I'm gonna look it up, but keep keep saying your point and I'll fill it in. Yeah, well, so the thing is, like, you know, it, I it obviously it's terrible that Stevie Ray Vaughan died, especially after getting clean and especially in something as stupid as a helicopter accident. Mm. Oh, but, the sky you know, is crying. That one, the one with him sitting in the. Yeah, he had. Um, let's see. Did when did In Step come out? The Sky's Crying. Uh, In Step was eighty nine. Okay, so Family Style was a bad album. Yeah. Okay, so In Step. It is In Step. That's the one I'm thinking oh, of because oh, The Sky's Crying. Yeah. I think was a posthumous release. Yeah, that was. But yeah, yeah. Right, and so if you look at In Step and you look at the 
songs on it. Like the house is rocking. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's not really, I mean, it, it's become a song that he's known for, but like, it's well, not in like the top, top 50 movie. songs he ever did. As right. far as like just being a good song. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Crossfire is not a bad song, but it's not a great song. Tightrope is not a bad song, but not a great song. Let Me Love You Baby is a very old song. Leave My Girl Alone, a very old song. Wall of mm. Denial is not bad. Travis Walk's not bad. Scratch and Sniff's not bad. Love Me Darling, old Hall and Wolf, uh, old Hall and Wolf thing. And then Riviera Paradise closes the album. And that's the best song on the whole album. It's mm. just nine minutes of Stevie Ray being incredible. <laughs> right? But, but all in all that album isn't very good. And then he did, well, I mean, it's just, it's just not as good as when he was on drugs, <laughs> you know, yeah, cause that, I don't want to advocate clean, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was his first sober album and I, I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm not going to be like, yeah, the dude should have never quit drinking. Like, he got sober. How'd that work out for him? You like, this is right, not yeah. bad. <laughs> It's like but, the opposite it, of dare or scared if straight. If I'm remembering right, then it, <laughs> the total opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get your shit together. What's wrong with you? Yeah. To, to get your shit together, lose your shit. Sometimes um, drugs and alcohol make you better. <laughs> alcohol technically is a solution in the scientific <laughs> world. Yeah. Um, so remember no, that, kids. But <laughs> but, but it, uh, if memory serves me right, didn't it? Like his band, right? a majority of this album like he didn't he like well, came in to like do his part but he wasn't like like the yeah i think it was i think it was recorded more piecemeal um right but like, writing, I think, like even the house is rocking i don't think he wrote that i think the band like wrote that like yeah I, I oh yeah was, yeah and the, i think it, it yeah it was Doyle like Burrell. Yeah, yeah and, and like, yeah like i think so. they were just kind of like it, it was at least the the Cause I don't know how you like think like albums come to be, but I just feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's an, it's a notion. Like, do you want to do the work um, or a contract? Uh, but <laughs> you, but you're, there's also like a, a state, you know, the state of the person. And like, if you're not, you know, like you, you look at someone like George Harrison that like during like one of the most heaviest periods of his time, that's when he really focused in and, and dealt out a lot of work. Um, but, uh, for someone like Stevie, that may have been in a, a state of recovery. Um, did that mean that he was less involved just for the sake of reservation, just, just, just to keep him from being too stressed out or whatever. Uh, and it, and I, it, and I think a majority of this album was kind of curated and wrote by the band. Uh, cause I, I'm forgetting the name of the document. That's why I've been trying to remember while I'm saying this, there's a documentary I watched, um, not too long ago, um, about Stevie and it was about this period specifically or not, not that this period, but the part I'm remembering is about this period specifically. Um, and just being about the, the band being a little bit more involved than usual. And it definitely being more poppy, like definitely having a more pop, like right. centric like, formula to how this blues rock is, is, is done. And, and that's probably what you don't like. <laughs> Because I feel yeah. like someone that loves blues, like sometimes pop, the pop for well, the pop version of anything that you like love could probably like irk you, especially when like yeah. one of the greats takes a, a dive into that realm can always throw you right. Out. And, 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 you know, so like I think about it. So Eric Clapton, um, 
he he had gone into rehab in the earlier mid seventies for you know the first or second or third or eighth time or whatever. Um, and when he came back, the first album he made was called Four Sixty One Ocean Boulevard. And it's a great album. It was recorded in Florida at a house called that 461 Ocean Boulevard or whatever. Oh. But, Eric, but Eric Clapton, Eric Clapton wrote a lot of the songs and he arranged the songs and produced the songs, but I don't think he played any of the solos. He just played rhythm mm. tracks. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a good album. I mean, it, it the songwriting sounds very Claptonian, um, even if the solos aren't quite there. And I think that's what Stevie Ray... And maybe that speaks to Eric Clapton as a songwriter and a producer mm. being at a, you know, more advanced and more on top of it than Stevie Ray Vaughan was at the same time. Mm. Um, because the other thing is by 1975, you know, Eric Clapton had already been playing guitar professionally for like 15 years. Um, right. And Stevie Ray really wasn't quite there. But I mean, he was obviously an incredibly, incredibly gifted guitarist, but he might not have been as much in the way of songwriting and arranging, especially during that time of recovery. Mm, And I think, I think when I start thinking about albums that never were or albums Mm. that could have been, yeah. um, Instead of thinking of, of some sort of like, Oh yeah. Well, if John Paul Jones had just sat down with this person and, you know, then Mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin would have maybe not happened, but they would have had this incredible album where it was like Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page and Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, instead of thinking more like that, I'm thinking like Stevie Ray Vaughan never got the chance to release another good album. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, cause he came out with in step and that was 89. And then he did family style with his brother, Jimmy in 1990 and that album is terrible um i mean it's just like you know the guitar playing is fine because it's it's two vaughn brothers going at it so like the guitar playing is incredible but the songs are the songs suck um and then the sky is crying was posthumous release but you know i feel like if stevie ray vaughn had had a few years sober and learned how to channel that same creativity that drugs and alcohol had given him without having to, you know, like put cocaine in his morning crown Royal, you know, like, um, I, I don't know. I feel like that's one of music's kind of great opportunities missed is that Stevie Ray Vaughan never really got the chance to release a great sober album. Um, and you know, okay. you can't, well, it, what are you going to fault him? You're like, Hey, how dare you die in a helicopter car, a helicopter oh, crash. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, you can't, but, and that is, by the way, you know, that whole thing to bring it all back to Eric Clapton, that was a show that he had played with Eric Clapton, that he was leaving. Um, oh, Steve Ray Vaughn was leaving that show that he had played with Clapton and Clapton was like, he couldn't fly back with Stevie Ray Vaughan cause he was on his way to rehab or something. I mean, it's, it's a really wow. crazy story of like one guy who was freshly clean and sober and another guy who was trying to get that way. And the guy who was already clean and sober is the one in the helicopter who died. Jeez. I mean, it's a crazy, by the way, sorry if my camera's moving, I'm set up on kind of a rickety table and I'm, I'm all limbs. So I keep hitting things, but <laughs> 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 you're yeah you're a, you speak with your arms a lot this is why a web chat is needed yeah i do and I, i've been like i'm sitting here like trying to make an effort not to do it <laughs> and or at least if i do be sure to like pull my arms out from under the table then bring them forward <laughs> you know? but 
gotta practice uh, that etiquette brother well, yeah that's um, all it is so but, but yeah <laughs> so that's that's kind of what i think of uh, you know the more i think about yeah. it the more i'm like if i could if i could go back and i could have one more album happen like mm-hmm. i would want to give stevie ray vaughn that shot to make a really really good blues album that is close to his roots close to his style um sure. you know but yeah but well, without it, the drugs <laughs> <laughs> well to to kind of uh wrap that thought up um i just have a question or a thought an idea what uh just real quick like off the top of your head you don't have to think about it too hard who's someone that you think that he would have collaborated really well with being in that you know place in life Oh man. So if we're looking, um, like into back into the Mm nineties, I think that one thing Stevie Ray Vaughan would have had a great time collaborating with the kind of surge in more, um, kind of Texas and Tejano music that was getting popular. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're looking at kind of homespun Americana country guys, Cumbia. Yeah. But, you know, even like Joe Ely is a great um, kind of country rock guy out of Lubbock. Mm. Um, And and, and by the way, to to give you a little bit of Joe Ely's pedigree, uh, Joe Ely toured with The Clash for a while um, in the early 80s. And actually, I believe was the one who came up with the idea to have the kind of... uh, I guess background words in Spanish in in that one in that second verse of "Should I Stay or Should I Go" by the oh, Clash. Really? Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. Some some dude from Lubbock, and you'd never think about it. And then he was uh, touring with the Clash and stuff. Enough everywhere. Yeah, and you know, in the '90s, Joe Ely started making a lot of music that included like Flaco Jimenez on the mm-hmm. accordion and and taking mm-hmm. on a little bit more of a Latin flair, but still kind of had some blues and country roots. And I think that think he would have collaborated well with. Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, I don't know if the if the opportunity would have arisen, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, then looking forward a little bit more. I think seeing seeing him collaborate with some of the modern kind of guitar guys, you know, Joe, Joe Bonamassa, uh, John Mayer, Gary Clark Jr., Doyle Bramwell II. Um, yeah, dude, him and Gary Clark, that would be that would be like right. That would, and everybody in Texas that pays attention to Texas like music would lose their mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, it would just like, it would not be fair, <laughs> right? Like late late two thousand tens, like you got old Stevie and and uh, you know on the come up fresh Gary. <laughs> or not yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, can't can't like if you can take yourself back to like two thousand thirteen or fourteen. And yeah, you can picture like a 60-year-old Stevie Ray Vaughan <laughs> and, you know, a 25-year-old Gary Clark Jr. or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, and yeah. just, just playing shows in Austin, you know, <laughs> just doing whatever. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I think I think that that would have been incredible to see. And, you know, of course, we oh, never yeah. will, but that's, that's yeah. but uh, well, I don't know. I, so what, what about you? What about the album that never was? Yeah, so anytime something like this gets brought up uh, uh, musically, like, you know, oh, they were working on this or like so-and-so announced this, but it never happened. Um, like one of the earliest uh, 
examples of that for me that has always gripped my attention um, or let's let's not use that word gripped my frustration um, <laughs> because it was just something that I don't know I just the more you think about it and you think about just how efficient these individuals were you, and, and of course super groups are something that could be like you know super amazing and I don't know, but there's also that chance of it just not, I don't know, not being really too much at all, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it could be cream or it could be Europe. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, or, or it could be, you know, blind faith where everybody just hates each other the whole time. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. 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 That's the third option. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where they get one really good song out of it, but they, hate yeah. each other. Um, but no. Um, so anyways, that whole intro to say the one project that always comes to my mind, um, I guess it's technically two projects, but it's in the exact same, like they would have cross pollinated, like same thought process for different artists. Um, for bitches brew, um, miles Davis originally wanted to include, um, Jimi Hendrix, um, in the, in his mix. Um, oh man. And I, if I, my time, I should have refreshed before I, this show but um if i'm not mistaken i know it was in the month that he died like the month that hendrix died was the same month that either davis tried to reach out to get it started um or like had it like planned that he was like all right you know he's gonna be my guy i'm gonna reach out to him when we're a little more you know fleshed out or whatever um but he but miles wanted hendrix involved and then he wanted paul mccartney to be his bassist on on uh, at least at least some tracks of bitches brew, but you know wow. potentially the majority. Um, and it might not have been ended up you know being bitches brew um, or even called that, um, but that's what the project would have been. But it ended up being bitches brew instead, uh, which is already a huge you know step forward for Davis and and infusion music and stuff like that. Uh, but still, I did, that that would have been insane. Um, I think that would have really cross pollinated a lot of, um, um, music communities and maybe, you know, jived certain people up to jazz from the pop and rock, you know, period uh, a little bit yeah. better. Um, especially the long form, you know, complicated uh, eclectic jazz stuff. Um, so that's, that's one. And in the same vein of that McCartney, while he was making Ram, um, you know, this was about, I don't know, roughly like four to six months after the Beatles had really completely broken up. Um, and he was in Scotland, uh, starting to work on Ram. Uh, he, he also wanted to include Jimmy. Um, and then I think it was, um, maybe I'm getting those confused. I think miles had the plan to reach out to him and did reach out to him like a, like a couple, like a month before for his project. And then, uh, McCartney had the letter written, if I'm not mistaken, like he sent the letter, but it, I don't think it was ever really received. And then he died like a couple of weeks later or something. Wow. Um, so it might not have been Ram, but for all we know, it could have been a Hendrix single, you know, just McCartney and Hendrix figure something out and just pump, throw it out. But those yeah. two projects, um, obviously both including Hendrix and McCartney, are just crazy just because of the time period, just because of the, um, every, all three of those guys were like at the height of, you know, of what they were doing. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just something that has always blown my mind. Um, 
Yeah. Wow. You know, it's, it is not that often that there's an event, especially one involving Jimi Hendrix and Paul McCartney that I just completely have not heard before, but that's one I've Mm -hmm. not heard before. That's, that's crazy. First off, it's crazy that Miles Davis might have recognized that Paul McCartney was a good enough basis to hang with Miles Davis. Mm. That, you know, I think they hung out. I think they, they had met up at least. Yeah. A few, like, they probably time. have the same pot dealer. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause I feel like I have the, um, it's actually, it's in that shelf right over my shoulder. Um, I have the Linda McCartney, um, photo photography book that covers oh, yeah. like, photography from like the mid sixties to like the, um, well, it might be up until her passing, but it's definitely, um, late eighties. Um, cause she passed away in 95, I think. Um, but there, man, there's some crazy pictures in that, like, you know, at the height of his like stardom and when he was living like in like the city, um, like he, there's just so many people. I mean, every page is like just someone crazy. It's like, oh, they're hanging out with the Grateful Dead, and you flip the page, and it's like Neil Young looking like a caveman, and you're like, oh, there's <laughs> Neil. And then, uh, and then, yeah, like I, I think, I think Miles is in that book, and just like, yeah, just people. It's just crazy. Um, it is but crazy. yeah, I, I, if anything, I think Miles, if it wasn't his musicianship, which I'm sure that they had, he had to appreciate that, otherwise he wouldn't have interacted with them, but. I don't know how complex he would have, you know, pushed McCartney to be, but I, I, I think they just kind of realized that they were always working. You know, I think there was that appreciation. They're like, man, you know, you might need a producer to tell you what you really need to do, but you're always there. And I'm sure by the in the late '60s, there was enough, you know, chatter through the grapevine of like how they were, like as people. You know, I don't know. Sure, but that that. uh yeah, that collaboration would have just been crazy. That, if anything, I mean, I, I can talk from my personal perspective for a while, but I just think in general, I think it would have been really crazy just because of the cross, you know, um, um, platforms it would have introduced of like the rock pop people flipping over to jazz for a second because they're like, oh well, McCartney is in it, you know, or Hendrix is in it, just 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 for that, you know. But um, yeah, and well, and speaking of Hendrix, another one I would have. I, would have brought up for like albums that could have been or whatever is um i think it's called black gold um or at least that's what it's been known as and it's like the last set of recordings that hendrix put together um before he died and he gave him the mitch mitchell um i think a week before he died and then mitch mitchell like forgot about him and then i think it was like in the uh, i don't even know the time period but he found them and then gave them to the estate and then like they said there was a plan to release them at some point um, I think in 2010, they said like they were going to release it within the decade and there's, I, unless I, sorry, <laughs> unless it's been renamed something else, like it's, it's totally underneath something else. Um, no one's played it, but from what I've read about from people that were involved and, um, with him during that time period where he actually was doing those recordings, like apparently he was just really all over the place. So that's why they haven't really released it is because it's not, it's not like some treasure trove. It's really just like a bunch of loose ideas um but just i don't know just thinking of that i guess um extending that thought that everyone has when they deep dive hendrix and like damn he's gone yeah um just that stuff like those you know like oh what what if there's that demo that one producer thought was shit but he was an asshole and it's actually really good you know (laughs) (laughs) that kind of stuff or you know like what we were talking about before um with like that jam band mentality like 
you know, you might lose it for a second and there might be a producer that's like, Oh, you, that was terrible. Like, I don't want to post that just because you, you, I did not like that one little moment you had, but some ultra fans like, I don't care. I just want to hear his practice. You know, (laughs) it could be totally crap, but I just want to hear it one more time. Well, you know, like I have that, uh, well tying Stevie back into it. I have that record, um, that, uh, um, it's a rehearsal recording of David Bowie's, um, Stevie's on it. And it's a recording uh, it's a live rehearsal that was played on a radio station in Las Colinas, and then they recorded it and put it on vinyl. Um, like that's really cool just because like, I don't know, it's a weird instance that I don't know, you normally don't get, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's just a good, a good glimpse into that, that world. Um, I'm forgetting why I brought that up. I had a reason why I brought that up. Well, it is, it is one of those things that because it's a rehearsal, it's probably imperfect, but it's probably one of those where those little moments oh, yeah. where yeah. things get yeah. lost or whatever actually add a, a charm to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Like, or, or you realize, like, that's not normally what I do with this solo or, like, with this outro part, but, like, I liked it. Like, and I don't know, like, that stuff, that that kind of album, I'll listen to that, and when they're talking and, like, the in-between, I don't care, I'll let it play, like, just like a podcast that I'm listening to and they're talking about something I don't really know. I'm sure they'll circle back to the part that I, you know, I'm used to or I'm expecting, like, you know. Um, well, yeah, so it's like know. listening to the Beatles anthology uh, discs, mm, like the soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, you hear the outtakes and you hear them talking and dicking around and just being goofy. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, well, these were humans doing this. This is interesting. And right. eventually, and you know, it's, there's, if especially, I can't, it's like, you know, there's like nine cuts of Strawberry Fields right. on that anthology. And you yeah. can just hear it build where it starts with just, uh, you know, just John on a guitar. And then the, mm. the little Moog thing gets brought into it. And it just, it works its way in. And you're like, oh, okay. You can see yeah. how it's built and it's, well, it, it, it like does add same, a lot to it. Or like in the same vein of why a podcast conversation is a little more uh, interesting to people nowadays compared to like a produced line of questioning or something um, or an edited like, you know, interaction is, it, it's just that genuine dynamic to it. that like, you're getting to see how I fuck up. <laughs> you're getting to see also how I execute, you know, like you, you know, you get to see everything and in between there. And that's, that's what adds interest is just like, I don't know, probably your best friend proved that they were a cut above the rest at some point, but they also proved that they were normal. And so you're yeah. like, wow, this is a great person. And so I just feel like media, we're starting to evolve that same way towards media. We're like, well, media doesn't have to be flawless every time, but it has to at least show up, <laughs> you know, or like hold some kind of interest, but you know, but yeah, it's just so interesting. Um, but yeah, like stuff like that, those outtakes, rehearsals, demos, like, I don't know, it's super cool. Like the, the Abbey road, um, deluxe edition that has the, um, uh, something demo where it's just George yeah. with the guitar and it's like a, a, a loose rockier version of it, but it's like, damn, that's good. Like you hear that and you're like, holy crap, that dude was like 90% of the way there. Yeah. <laughs> He's needed George Martin to come in and like, you know, fill in some gaps, but it's just like. I love that shit. Like that stuff's awesome. Um, no, it's I mean, great. Yeah. My, uh, my business partner, um, out in Lubbock, actually, I think he, I, I think he majored in music. He might've majored in political mm. science and minored in music, but 
he's a he's a musician, um, plays organ at the Methodist Church out there, and plays piano in his spare time mm-hmm. and stuff. But he was telling me that when he was in college, he had a you know like a piano instructor who told him, he said, you know, if you mess up once, it's a mistake. But if you mess up two or three times in a row, it's just improvising. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of how I think of those, the outtakes and especially like live jazz or that jam band mentality oh. where, you know, that yeah. you have the freedom, the creative freedom, where if you, you know, if you drop it, just pick it up, come back to it, go get it. Exactly. You know, exactly. And see, and like and, to and me, it's great. Like, that that if anything how you communicate how you handle pressure and then how you recover from pressure is how you prove that you're a professional i mean in any industry but like when it comes to musicianship that is like tenfold or like public speaking anything that's like you know public presentation but like you can't fake musicianship you know and you and 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 the only thing you can do to correct that in an, in a live setting is to repeat and to um improvise and and mend right on the fly and the only way you're going to do that is just like a freaking uh i want to try and dramatize this here like a field medic you got to be able to get in it know exactly what you're going to do to cut the time out and to cut the crap and to prove you know this is a solution and you move on anyways now so i was just going to bring up um pat uh, pat metheny was the last thing i was talking about um Pat is, um, well, I think, I believe he holds the most Grammys, um, of anyone living right now. He also holds the most variety of Grammys, like in regards to genre. Um, he, he was on uh, quest loves podcast, quest love Supreme. And he was talking about how he, he practices like eight to 12 hours or eight to 10 hours, like a day. And he's just, uh, just a monster. Um, but, those pros that do um, that play the circuits consistently and they also do like jam sessions, you know, I mean, that's what a lot of pros will do on their off time. They'll do a show and then if they're in new Orleans or like whatever, and they want to go somewhere after they've done their work and they want to, they still have a lot of energy in them. They'll go to a jam session nearby. Uh, you know, like in Dallas, there's places like the Freeman or three links, uh, you know, all the spots. And, uh, and they'll get in there and they'll play with some local cats that are, you know, uh, um, just as proficient, but, you know, just, you know, they, 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 they feel their positions. And, um, I mean, that's, that's what you do, man. I mean, like when you're, when you're improving and you're proving that you're uh, a practice professional, I mean, you'll still mess up, but you make those mess ups just a part of your, your you know, your piece, you know, you, you figure out a way to work it and finesse it. And just like any professional, you're, you're able to finesse very well and very easily because you know what your, your audience is expecting and you know what to expect of yourself. And when you're not hitting that, you know, expectation or that level and, uh, and you correct, you pivot, you know, and anyone that's a, a proven pro, you know, have a repertoire of, of solutions to these little problems that, you know, that's why I, like me, I try and I try and really not ask too stupid of a question <laughs> to <laughs> pro musicians because I just know some things they think about like once an hour that I'm like once a week, like, Oh, I, <laughs> my guitar's in tune. Like, you know, like they, they're checking that constantly or like they know exactly when it's not whatever state they want it to be. Um, 
but yeah, man, I mean, those, those guys that can play that proficient proficiently, there's my blowing. Um, but all that to say, uh, <laughs> um, those are most of the, the things or the, the, the thing that I, I contributed. That's, that's the thing I always think about in regards to this topic of like what could have been, um, the honorable mentions I did want to throw out there, um, just to wrap this up is, um, I know apparently I've been told this and I've read little things about it, but I have never really like heard anything or seen anything or really it's never been brought up to me again in years. But apparently Jeff Beck did an album with Motown at one point that never like saw the light of day. Um, wow. That that would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd listen to that. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other con, it's not even really a project that never was, but I just, I think about it. In fact, me and Brad have talked about it before. Um, is that, you know, uh, Kurt Cobain um, said that he was a big fan of, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name, the lead guy from R.E.M. Oh, yeah, um, Michael Stipe. Yeah, Stipe. And um, and he said that if he ever did a project with anyone else um, in that in their world, it would have been him. Um, so I just, I don't know, you know, I just would have been curious what that would have been like. Um, or also, um, I know Neil wasn't aware of Kurt, but Kurt was very aware of Neil. Um, if Kurt Cobain and Neil Young ever um, tried to work out some grungy goodness together, that would have been interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think I think those are two pretty great honorable mentions there. <laughs> I mean, those are your honorable mentions. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> Well, it's just because, like, I don't know, they're like footnote thoughts on, like, you know, in documentaries I've seen where they're like, and and so and so always mentioned that they would have loved to work with this person. Like, oh, what the hell? Why didn't they do it? Why didn't they do it? You know, and it's like, well, because he was in Costa Rica at the time, and so and so, like, oh god, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I know Paul McCartney had had apparently tried to figure out a way to work with Michael Jackson. Um. You know, like in the the late Beatles, early McCartney solo years. Mm -hmm. uh, Oh, so like younger Michael. Yeah, yeah, really young Michael. But Mm -hmm. he was already, I mean, you know, he was already so talented. Oh, um, sure, yeah. And had such control over the vocals and stuff and just understood it. And I don't know why it didn't work out if it was – you know, just the Jackson's dad being a dick like always, or if, or if Paul McCartney never even really reached out to anyone or, or, or maybe this was all just some sort of crazy dream I had and it didn't even happen, but I'm pretty sure that's not the case. Um, but I do think, and you know, eventually, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, when of course they did, they did eventually work together. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so I guess, but it would have been interesting to see, like, if Michael Jackson had done, you know, backup video or backup vocals on, like, Hello, Goodbye or on some mm. upbeat later Beatles yeah. album, song or yeah, something. Yeah, no, that, that would be interesting, like a young a young Michael, like before Off the Wall or something, like Michael yeah. working with, with Paul. That would be cool. Like yeah. Some, like, some disco shit together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that'd be cool <laughs> yeah i agree i agree but like why why was it michael jackson on uh back to the egg <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's interesting yeah i always forget um that mccartney's on thriller like every time i'm like re like 
digesting like how amazing like thriller is as like a uh, a feat of you know musicianship and production uh work oh yeah and then, like, well because eddie van halen played the guitar solos on beat it yeah yeah it's just, yeah it's, just, it's insane yeah it's nuts yeah well it's insane to see like if we're going to talk about like who has like their hands like in pies and stuff it's crazy to see like how much stuff and involvement like quincy uh jones is oh yeah around it's just nuts man that's so, a that's a great documentary on netflix if you haven't seen oh, yeah, it all right. i'm sure you have but yeah yeah it's so good yeah, yeah. um yeah, I think he was involved, um, not in the whole thing, but in some form. Um, I don't have much to grab for this thing I'm about to say for some reason. Um, but uh, uh, I think he, he, there's a little interview or a snippet of him on The Weeknd's new album, and I think he kind of advised or like was involved in some extent, um, which that album's great. I think we were talking about that when you were leaving the other day. Um, Don FM. Um but yeah, that, that documentary is super good, uh, Quincy. Um, dang it, what was that? that? I was trying to remember. There's some documentary um, that my dad suggested me that to me today that I was going to ask you if you had seen. If, if it's the David Geffen one, I have not watched it yet. <laughs> <laughs> is that about uh, uh, the Jeff Clive Davis one? Is pretty good. There's there's one on Clive Davis on Netflix. It's pretty good. Oh really? I haven't seen yeah. that one. You know which one I haven't finished? Um, it's on my list. And I keep, I don't know why. I haven't finished that Rush documentary. Oh, I yeah. That one, and, and I didn't finish that one. I like got That's a good to, one. I think like the halfway point when they were like in the 80s. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that, that, I, I really enjoyed that one. I got like a work call or something that interrupted. <laughs> I interrupted it and I just keep forgetting about it. That's the worst when you're trying to just watch stuff about music and then f- your freaking job gets in the way. I hate that. <laughs> I'm trying to learn. <laughs> but now, I, oh man, oh, I can't remember what that the other documentary is. But one that we brought up before, though, I, I still think that whenever you get a free moment, you, you, sh- you of all people should check out is that um, George Martin documentary. That one's super cool. Super, super yeah. cool. Yeah, I need to, in fact, I don't have a pen and paper right here. Normally, I am never more than a few feet away from a pen and paper, but I don't have one. But yes, no, I'll, I'm really I'm like 18 feet from my living room, so I can <laughs> I can check and see if it's available here in a bit. Go add it. Go add it to your Amazon watch list. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's, it's super good. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, well, cool, man. This has been fun. Uh, Thanks as always. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, next time we'll uh, we'll try out our our other new idea, the shuffle roulette. Oh see yeah, see where that takes us. <laughs> fun, fun sneak peek for the listeners. If, you, if everyone wasn't already at the edge of their seat, they are now. <laughs> if you weren't already losing it, now you can lose it. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I'll catch All you right. next one. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. Anytime, man. We'll see you.